If you're able to join us last week, you got to hear uh, kind of a synopsis of Revelation 4, and we begin to understand that as, uh, as we look at creation, that creation has an obligation, has a distinct obligation to God through Christ, that they are obligated, all of creation is obligated to, to worship him because he is the creator. But you and I, as made in the image of God, that we have this unique opportunity that we can actually have the, the privilege to declare who he is. We are not necessarily obligated, although we will be, but we have the privilege to declare who he is and what he has done because we understand who he is and what he has done. And so this week, as we move into Revelation 5, we're still in the throne room, and John is still in heaven, but he's been caught up there to be shown what will take place. So these are future events that he is looking at. This will take place, so it's going to happen. But for us, as we enter the throne room, we have to understand that in Revelation 5, we are moved past creation being obligated and past the declaration. And so now we come to what you would call the proclamation. And so now all of creation gets to proclaim, not just declare, but proclaim openly who he is and what he has done. And we're going to look at that tonight in Revelation 5. And so if you want to get past all the Asians, okay, because I like those, they seem to flow together and make my brain work really well. You can think of it this way, just to break it down a little bit. This is how to avoid a fatal future, how to avoid a fatal future. Not one you say, Casey, are you saying I won't die? I'm saying you're not going to die with nothingness. You're not going to die in oblivion or, or nihilism or annihilation. You're going to be able to avoid that because you're going to begin to understand that you will see things as God is seeing them and as he is orchestrating them and playing them out through redemptive history. It's a lot to digest. Just hang on. So let me begin with a story. In seventh grade, Mrs. Mildred Wilkerson asked me to write an autobiography. The first part of the paper was very short, but she said, I want you to write it as though you're 40. Now, for a seventh grader, this takes a lot of imagination. And so as I began to write... I said, when I graduate college at the University of North Carolina, where I would be the starting point guard for the Tar Heels, why are y'all laughing so much? That hurts. That hurts deep. That hurts deep. It could have happened. could have happened. But I said, I will then go to UNC Dental School because I want to be a dentist because I want to make a good bit of money because one of the things that I have to be able to do is to drive a Corvette ZR1. Which for most of you doesn't mean a hill of beans, but you need to understand that that month that I was riding it, that car was on the front of Car and Driver. And it was the fastest car that they had at that time, zero to 60. And I was like, you know what? If you're going to dream, dream big. And I want that car. I want to graduate UNC. I want to go to dental school. And boom, shakalaka, I drive this car. Now, wife, kids, all that stuff, I was like, yeah, that'll happen. Wife, check, kids, probably, dog, yes. But the big thing that has to happen is Corvette and UNC point guard dental school, there we go. That was in seventh grade. Now, you probably have something similar that maybe you got to write or that you've at least experienced where you had a dream when you were young. And maybe you're getting to accomplish that dream here at Louisiana Tech. Great. But 
I would probably say there's just a few people in the room like myself that you had this dream, you had this idea of the way life was going or what your future would entail. But as God began to reveal himself to you and reveal himself in your life and to work through your life, as you grew up in him and as he grew in your life, that things kind of went way different. Right? Maybe a few of us, just a few of us, that things just went way different. And you would, you would love to go back to your younger self and say, hey, cool, glad you had dreams, glad you had expectations, but don't get so you know, hitched to them, married to them, get those so concrete in your life that you neglect to see what God is revealing to you as your life progresses. You see, our faith future can be fatal to us when we let it rule our lives instead of letting God rule our lives. And I think that's something that all of us in this room can agree with. And maybe we've had that problem at some point, that we've let the future dictate how we feel about God instead of God dictate how we feel about our future. And say, God, I'm not so comfortable with how this thing is looking. (laughs) I mean, I'm not rich yet. (laughs) I haven't won the lottery. Probably need to do that by 18. Wait, I have to be able to buy the ticket. Oh, damn it. You know, whatever. And so you get where we're at tonight. We've all had these desires, these things. And as God began to reveal himself, things changed. A lot of that is happening to John in Revelation 5. As God begins to reveal himself, John even begins to weep. And so those of you who say, there's no weeping in heaven, I give to you Revelation 5. John weeps. And he's weeping because, and we're going to get to the text in just a moment, but he's weeping because no one is able to open the seal of the scroll of the future. No one's able to open that because no one has authority to open. No one has the power to take it from God and to open it. And this is not the first time that this has happened. So I want to build this for you a little bit. Look at Isaiah 29. Verses 11 through 12. And I'll read it to you very quickly. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I cannot, it is sealed. Verse 12. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. Now, maybe that was your last boyfriend. I don't know. He's like, you gave me this and I don't know how to read. That's why he doesn't read the Bible with you. It's not because he doesn't like God. It's because he literally does not know how to read. There's classes for that. Seek the education department at Louisiana Tech University. They have great reading curriculum. Holly can help you with that if you don't know if your boyfriend can read. Don't point fingers, please. It's very disrespectful. Illiteracy is real. Illiteracy. So is illegitimacy. Not to be confused with one another, please. One does not lead to the other, however. Well, it could. That got way off track. (laughs) Oh, carry the four. It's okay. And so you had this idea in Isaiah that the scroll cannot be opened. It's a problem. The scroll cannot be opened. 
And so imagine, if you will, if you're John and you're sitting in the throne room of heaven and there is a scroll that contains the future and it cannot be opened. And so you're sitting there and you're going, how will we know? God wants to show us what will come to pass, but we cannot see it because no one is worthy to unveil or to reveal God's plan for the future, God's plan for mankind. And if you're sitting there and you're John, you go, maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was Moses and, and you had the Israelites. Well, wait, go back further than that. There was Adam and you know that whole thing, that whole thing failed in the garden. Humanity failed and they're sinful. And then you have the Israelites, God's chosen people. And how many times have they screwed up? Oh my goodness, they failed and failed. And so is it, is it, are we left with failure? But John would know Jesus, right? John would say, well, you know what? Jesus didn't fail. He conquered death in the grave, so there's not that failure. So uh, if you're standing there with John, you have to get to this point of where he weeps. Because if you don't get to that point, you can't understand the victory that's going to come when the angel announces there is one worthy. It is the lamb that was slain. And so I've got to get you to the point where you feel the weeping. So imagine, if you will, your future whatever it may be, but it's not in God's will. God has not intervened. He's not shown up and shown out in your life. He's remained sealed up, locked up, forever silent, quiet, And not because you don't want him to speak, but because no one is worthy to say and seal the future or to say and unseal the future. And that's where Isaiah is at. And just as it pleased God to reveal himself through Jesus, you get this part of that revelation when Jesus stands in the temple and he proclaims boldly, recorded in Luke 4, 16 through 21. It says, he went to Nazareth and there he was being brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Sounds a little like heaven, doesn't it? And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm revealing this to you today. As he reads it, he reveals to it now, your future, my future is not one futility, it is one of fruitility in that we get to bear testimony to who God is and what he has done for all creation to see. And then we've jumped ahead a little bit, but John Piper kind of puts it in a capsule when he says missions exist because worship does not. And that's where we are, we are tonight. Mission exists because worship does not. Well, here in Revelation 5, Worship exists 
and our mission is to proclaim the worship of one true God, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This example of revelation, the revealing of God moving into proclamation is again demonstrated in Acts. And so if you look at Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 34, that is Philip and the eunuch. And we've heard this story before, more than likely, where the eunuch is reading. And guess what he's reading? This will blow your mind a little bit, blue mind. Guess what he's reading? What is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53. You familiar with that passage? We read a lot at Christmas. Bruised for our iniquities. Remember that? And so the eunuch is reading this and he says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Verse 35, it's beautiful. Then Philip began with that very passage, with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Again, the pattern of seeking and seeing and showing and shouting is demonstrated. And so if you think about Revelation 5, this little phrase that I've just stated gives you a great encapsulation of what is going on. John sees heaven and God begins to show him things that must take place. And inside John wells up this idea that he needs to shout it, that he needs to proclaim it, that he needs to write it down, that he needs to tell us. And this has been a pattern, not just for this present time with John, but it is a pattern for the past as demonstrated in the Isaiah text. And it's a theme for us now. That what God shows you and I in his word and in our lives What he shows us when he shows off and shows out and shows you when he reveals himself to you. You can't hold it in. You shouldn't hold it in. Because you and I get to proclaim, get to shout. what the angels say. So let's read Revelation 5. I hope y'all are ready. I hope y'all are prepared. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. 
I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of Judah, the root of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And it had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. As I stated before, the problem is who can open the scroll and the who is the one who was slain. So what can we glean from this if, this evening? If no one can then open the scroll, then the future would be closed. We can know because... We can know the future because he has shown us this. We don't have to be fearful again. We can have a fruitful future. And he has done so by revealing himself in his good time and his good pleasure. As Philippians tells us, he has shown us that the lamb who was slain has the authority to take the future and open it for us. As a result of his opening, it is a call for us to shout out loud who he is and what he's done. So how does this play out in your life? The pragmatic people that we are. Let's go back to when I was in seventh grade. Were you there? Nah, you weren't there. Ms. Wilgerson had red hair. I'm pretty sure she dyed it. I kept that autobiography for a really long time. I was actually proud of it. Uh, I got a good grade on it. That was always helpful. But I was really proud of it because I felt like it was something that I really should accomplish. Something that I should do. Something that I should be. And then I didn't do any of it. Because as God revealed himself to me, I realized that he was much more important 
that who he was and who he is is far more important than who I am and what I'm going to do. See, I didn't want to trade my forever for my for now. But a lot of people do that. They trade their forever for the for now. Look at your neighbor and be like, are you for real? I mean, do you want to trade your forever for your for now? So how do we shout what he has shown us? We have to understand what pleases him and what pleases him is our worship. So what are we to proclaim about Christ? What are we to proclaim about him from this text? I noticed that a lot of, what is this thing, Mystic Monday? I saw that a couple of Instagram posts, Mystic Monday, Mystic Bond Monday. Is this a thing, right? Mystic Bond. I don't understand exactly what you're bonded to, maybe Gorilla Glue or duct tape somehow. I wish that was like, like if two people were duct taped together on Mystic Bond Monday, I would think that was hilarious. I'd be like, I like that. That's funny. You know, but it's like two people and they're like hugging. You're not bonded. You're just loosely assembled. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to be the mystic bond, you need to be like, yeah, I'll rip some skin off when I said goodbye to that girl. You know what I'm saying? It was like super glued our arms together or something. I mean, make it a little bit more uh, <clears throat> dad joke cohesive. Hey, all day, every day. I can say that because I'm a dad, all right? So this mystic bond Monday kind of thing, well, maybe I got a new one for you. So how do you proclaim what Christ has done? Instead of mystic bond Monday, let's have surrender Sunday. Let's have Surrender Sunday. So on Sunday, you can say, you know, what have you surrendered to as far as God's will and way? What have you surrendered to? Because if you still want your future, that could be fatal. But followers of Christ are saying, no, I'm not going to have a fatal future. I'm going to have a following future where I say, God, this is what you've done in my life. This is what I hope you will do. And this is what you can do. Because what he has done in your life is a proclamation of who he is. It is revealing of him working in your life. You are born into a certain family. And I'm looking around this room and I'm like, dear Lord, help us now. And for some of you, it was very much Christ a part of your life. But for some of us, you know what? Christ wasn't a part of our family life. And in fact, somebody from the outside of our family reached into our life and pulled us and dragged us to church, maybe against our will or maybe for some pizza. But we wound up there and we heard the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And we're like, yes, I don't exactly know everything about that, but I don't want to go to hell. I love Jesus. I know that he loves me. And Let's do this thing. And you are forever changed. And so you surrendered to Christ at that point. And since then, he's been revealing himself to you over and over and over again through the power of his word and through worship and through service and through all the other things that we find that God's people do as God speaks to them. And your life has changed. Your forever has been impacted by your for now. But if you trade your forever for your for now, 
You can just forget it. This is the person that chases the dream. And leaves the, the God behind. They, they surrender to something that is not God. And so Sunday, instead of a surrendering Sunday that shouts salvation and the goodness of God, they surrender their lives to lust or power or some other force of darkness. So even as you surrender Sunday, maybe you can check that out on social media and proclaim who he is and what he's done, not just for you, but for, for humanity. You can proclaim that you and I are unholy people who have become overwhelmed by a holy God. And you can also proclaim that you and I get the privilege to participate in holy adoration. We talked about that last week. And you could even say that you and I on Surrender Sunday, we could possibly rescue dry words and bring them to life and proclaim proudly and boldly the passage from Luke. From Luke that we just read, Luke 4, we could proclaim boldly, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor and he has set and he has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of the sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. We can get some great insight as to what the revelation to this adoration process looks like from the disciples. What the seeing and shouting progression is is very apparent in the songs of Revelation 4 and 5. And so if you have your notes, you probably want to jot this down really quickly. Revelation 4 and 5, there's five songs here. Five songs. And it is a progression. And so he's, he's demonstrated that there's a progression in Revelation. We call it progressive revelation, actually, in theological circles, where God is continually revealing himself throughout history. Not just in the history of the Bible, but in all of history, and specifically in the history of your life. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You remember when you were little? Well, some of you are still little. But you remember when you know you were little and God revealed himself to you? Vacation Bible school, right? Wind-shaped camp, huh? And God revealed himself to you like we've talked about already. And you began to see God moving in your life. Do you still see him? Ask your neighbor, do you still see him working in your life? What'd they say? Anybody say no? Because if they did, don't tell me. We'll be praying for them, but come on. So five songs here that demonstrate this, that demonstrate this revelation, and we're going to move through them quickly. Revelation 4 and 5, there are five songs. The first one is Revelation 4, 4, 8, where he says, Each of the four living creatures has six wings and was covered with all eyes around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so that specific song is just simple adoration. But it doesn't stop there. Revelation 4.11, the second is adoration by creation. And so creation has to shout 
with all that they are in Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you they will be created and have their being. And so adoration hits creation and it's moving forward. Do you understand? Let's go back to Genesis just so you make you can be like, I believe you now. What Gen- front of the Bible. Genesis 1. Sometimes I just mm, I just have to teach myself. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, who? In the beginning, who? It doesn't say in the beginning, Casey. It doesn't say in the beginning, Zach. It doesn't say that. It says in the beginning, God. So God, adoration. What did he do? I've established this who's in charge. In the beginning, God, what? Adoration, then creation. Moving on. The third song is Christ praising and connecting our adoration with God's redeeming mercy. Redemption and participation clashed together in Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and from every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and they will reign on earth. And so you have redemption, participation, adoration, and creation doing it all. Man, we're making some good stuff here and y'all just like, look, this is incredible stuff. I'm loving this, all right? We got one more. Fourth song and fifth song are coming. The fourth song begins like the third one and sounds like the second, but it is sung to Christ. Revelation 5, 12 through 13, redemption takes its place beside creation. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, getting a little ahead of myself, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that it is saying... Then the fifth song repeats a blessing and honor as the king of creation and the lamb of redemption are smacked together at the same time. And that is Revelation 5, 13, B. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. This is the song. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So now that you're thoroughly confused and wondering, Casey, why the heck are you telling me this? I'll break it down Barney style. It's too easy. Your future doesn't have to be fatal. You can avoid it. You can avoid it if you focus. If you focus on adoring him, that's adoration. On seeing him, we're doing Barney style, on seeing him, that's adoration. Seeing him for who he is, that he is the one worthy, that he is the lamb that was slain that only he can open the scroll. 
that he is the only one worthy of your praise, the only one worthy of your adoration. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your major. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not fortune. It's not your 15 seconds of glory. Hallelujah. I'm cool. And you're not. It's none of that. The only thing that is worthy is Jesus. He's the only one worth adoring. He's the only, and that begins when you begin to see him as John sees him. But beyond that adoration, after the seeing, after you begin to see him for who he is, your future changes. Because anytime we worship God, hang on, y'all ready? Fix it tied up and put a bow on it like you ain't never seen. When we worship, when we adore him, what happens? We move out of the center, we get off the throne, he gets to his right spot on the throne, right? And our lives are no longer focused on us, but on him. Exactly what's happening in Revelation 5. When that happens, our future is no longer fatal. It's freeing. Because this is what you want to know. Casey, what am I going to do when I grow up? Casey, what am I going to be when I grow up? God, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do when I grow up? There's only one thing you're going to do. There's only one thing worth doing for the follower of Christ. Connor, he doesn't care if you get an MBA. He doesn't care if you're a coach. He doesn't care if you're a teacher or speech, whatever that is. He doesn't care. Micah, he didn't care if you're a NASCAR driver. He didn't care. Okay, I know you want to go fast, but he don't care. You know what he cares about? Do you think he's worthy? Anybody going to see the registrar? I know AJ is. He told me that today. He's like, I got to go see the registrar. I got to change my major change my name, whatever it is, you know. <coughs> hey, look, I love registrars. They want you to graduate. That's a noble profession because you don't need to be here for forever. But if you let that piece of paper that says this is what you should take to become who you are, if you, if you believe that lie, then your future will be fatal. This registration paper, if you want to call it that, we'll just imagine it's that. This registration paper, it does not define who you are. This one does. And this one says some really cool stuff because it basically says there's only one job you have and there's only one thing worth doing in your life. 
and that is proclaiming the redemptive history of God through your life. Not only with your life, but with your lips. Because if your lips can't say who he is, is and what he has done for you, guess what? I guarantee your life will probably not be reflecting it. So your story, tomorrow, your story, if there's no image of Christ in your story tomorrow, it may be because there's no salvation in your life. Barney style, one more time. You want to ride on the back of a garbage truck for the rest of your life? I mean, you don't have to drive. The wind blows through your hair. The smells aren't too great, but hey, you know, it's a good job. Pays, okay? Stinks a little bit, but what job doesn't stink? You may like the people you work with. So case that doesn't sound like a very noble profession. I probably don't have to go to college for that. Yes, you do. It's over in the engineering department, sanitation engineer. I mean, don't y'all know everybody's an engineer? They act like, oh, I, I, I am a, I am an engineer. Congratulations. I'm a communications engineer. I am. I am. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Engineering, it means this. Heard this from a very profound engineer. Engineering is having limited resources and solving a problem with them. And that's what engineers do. That's the core of it. You say, that sounds like, like they make it up as they go along. Have you ever met an engineer? That's exactly what they do. If you talk to, talk to Mikey, he'll tell you, what engineer? we make it up as we go along. I mean, what, we, we go, here's the problem. We think we have a solution. We're, guess what? God wants to visioneer, great book by Andy Sin, visioneer your life and tell you your future does not have to be fatal. It can be freeing if you give your for now to him for forever. You want to be a coach? Be a coach that proudly proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let your life and your lips speak it often. I got to do this for Meredith so we can get out of here. I'm tired of talking. You are tired of listening. It's all good stuff. The point to ponder for this evening is, are you weeping for your future or do you trust that it is open to you. And the only part that really matters is that he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. The point to practice for this evening, what you can do tomorrow, allow him to turn your life around because if you've really worshiped him, your life will be changed. You will no longer be, as we said, in the center of your life. God will become the center as you step aside and he is seated on the throne of your life. Sin says you are the center. Salvation says he is seated. Sin says you're the center. Salvation says he is the one that sits on the throne 
the lamb that was slain. So I'm going to get Zach to come back up. He's quick like that. And I really want us to take a few moments. not going to be long. I really want you to ask that point to ponder. Are you still weeping? Because you haven't given your future to him? Because we're fixed to launching into some scary stuff in Revelation. We ain't playing around. There's dragons. There's beasts. And they ain't pretty. You say, okay, see, that's a little scary to say that I'm going to give my future to the Lord. Why not? I mean, he is the one that broke the seven seals. He is the one that can stand in the sanctuary of the Holy of Holies and read boldly with all authority, this will come to pass. So either he's going to be the lion to you or he's going to be the lamb. But here he is the lamb that was slain for you and for me. And he is saying, what have you said about me today? What have you proclaimed about me working through your life today? Because if you haven't, if you haven't proclaimed him lately, it may be. But you have nothing to tell. Tell me a story of Jesus, the hymn says. Write on my heart every stinking word. Tell me the story most precious, the sweetest that ever of all time was heard. Worthy is the Lamb. So let's stand to our feet and let's sing this proudly and boldly. Blow the roof off this place, so many of you here tonight. Let's shout to the Lord this victorious song of how worthy he is.